This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey guys, Trey here. So excited to be back with you this week to celebrate one year with The Comeback, a podcast that is designed to inspire, to remind people that there is hope, no matter how dark the situation, no matter how broken the family no matter how hopeless that life may seem, that there is a God who loves us, who is committed to us, that sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to shatter the chains of addiction and anything else that would hinder God's love and his restorative power. And so there's a verse right now that comes to mind. It's Ephesians 3.20, and it says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. And when I think about this podcast and how we have intentionally focused on people in our community and those that are a part of our community that that maybe necessarily haven't gone through the program, but that are all a part of our community. And it's just some of the most remarkable stories. And what we're getting ready to do right now is take a few minutes to go back through some of the highlights of those that have had such a tremendous impact on our listeners. And I'll tell this story um, because, because it is so impactful. There was one amends that I needed to make that, um, that scared me the most. And it was partly because it was a man that was very intimidating. It was a guy that my father uh, used to live with. Um, you know, and at the time I didn't know anything about this guy. All I remembered about him was that in my mind, he did my dad wrong. He kicked my father out of his house when he had just been uh, laid off after 9-11. Um, and, you know, in active addiction, what I had done is, is I remembered that. And, you know, I was kind of hard up. You know, I don't know what, what had just happened, but I, I think that I, it was one of those times that I had been robbed and everything had been stolen from me. And, uh, and I hadn't gotten high in a really long time, and I was willing to do anything and everything to get some dope in my body. And so I went to this man's house, and, and I broke in, and I took everything. I mean, anything and everything that had any sort of monetary value. Um, and I drove off and, uh, and went straight to the dope man's house and was back off to the races again. And, and again, what I remembered about this man was that he was... Um, he was very intimidating, and and I just remember thinking, like, this is not going to go well. And so my sponsor, after, I don't know, at least a couple of months of, of me kind of giving some pushback, you know, had, had convinced me, you know, that this was the moment, you know, that I, I had to put my faith in God and let God walk me through this process. And I had to go out there, and I had to face this man. And, uh, and I had to tell him what I'd done, and I had to ask him, you know, what, what could I do to make this right? So, again, I didn't have the guy's phone number. I remembered where he lived. I got in my car, <laughs> this little 1994 Plymouth Acclaim, <laughs> uh, first recovery vehicle, and, uh, and, and I drove out there, and it was just such a funny experience because I just remember the fear I remember pulling into the driveway. I remember my, literally my knees shaking as I was getting out of the car, just being just so engulfed with just this, 
this, this overwhelming fear. And, uh, and I had saved up a little bit of money and I had, I don't know, I think like $1,100 in an envelope in my back pocket. And I got up, <clears throat> got out of the vehicle and I walked up the steps and I knocked on this man's door. And, uh, and this is where I get emotional because it's powerful. But uh, I knocked on the door and he opened the door And, uh, and, I, and I told the guy, you know, my name is Russ Jolly and I'm, I'm, here, to, uh, I'm here to make amends to you. Um, I broke into your house several years ago and I took everything that had any kind of value and, uh, and I was in the midst of my addiction and I wanna know what I can do to make it right. And, uh, and so I told the man, I said, I, I'd saved up a little bit of money and, um, and I was here paying back. And so I pulled out the, uh, the envelope and I handed them the envelope. And, uh, and, and remember, this is a time when, you know, being involved in the 12 steps and going to a lot of AA meetings is, is my life. Like, this is how I'm getting by, you know? This is how I'm, this is how I'm essentially getting this monkey off my back because I'm still driving around and I'm still having the same experiences and I'm still wanting to get high uh, on a pretty regular basis. And, uh, and, and this man takes this envelope and he, t- he, he takes $300 and he puts it in his pocket and he hands it back to, back to me. And he says, you're going to need this more than I am. And, uh, and he said, by the way, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and all he said was, thank you for coming here today and good luck to you. And, uh, and, you know, that was the moment that I, that I finally realized that, like, you know, the God thing was real, you know, that it was possible for me to, to have a personal relationship, you know, with God and, and to put my faith in him, even when I was so certain that it was going to go so badly. And, uh, and it just didn't. You know, the opposite happened. And, and the feeling that I had driving away from that house that day you know, I talked about the, the, the feeling that I got from that Oxycontin. And the reason why I told that story about the Oxycontin, because up to that point, that was the best feeling that I had ever known. And the feeling that I had driving away from that house today was better than any drink or any drug I'd ever put in my body. I will never get tired of listening to that story. I know, I've known Rush for uh, almost 20 years and uh, got high with Rush and, and understand the the depravity and the darkness that he was rescued out of, um, and and now to see him, you know, over a decade removed from active addiction, and and sometimes you can see that and, and not understand the path that was walked, but this is a picture of what is going to have to happen at some level for all of us. There's always a place of of sacrifice for anybody that has something real and authentic and to think, you know, and I, and I feel like this is, this is really what, what separates those from who make it and who don't make it that, you know, when you're saying I am willing to put it all on the line, though I might end up in jail, though I may end up broke again, though I have to walk through this really horrifying experience. But when somebody becomes willing to do that, no matter what the outcome is going to be, there's, there's, 
There's just something remarkable about that. And he did it. He walked through it. And God met him in that place. And it's just created this powerful testimony. Just amazing to to experience that with Rush. I remember one day, Campus Crusade for Christ. I So I went to Ohio University. Campus Crusade for Christ, um, someone was handing out, this lady was handing out these little cards, you know, and fill this survey out and you'll get a free pizza or something like that. <laughs> and it's so funny looking back because I'm like, I can't believe I did, I did that. But obviously the Lord used it because I filled this card out and it was like, do you want to know more about Christ? Do you want to, you know, you know, learn more about a Bible study? And, and in that time, I literally had no desire to know about Christ, to know, to be in a Bible study. I believed God. I believed in God for sure, but I literally believed that I was too far gone. Like I believed I was so wicked that there was no way God would ever want me back. And that was sort of my mentality. And so I did. I filled out the card, got the free pizza, went on with my life. And I don't know, a week later, I get a call and um, what was her name? Her name was Kelly. This lady named Kelly called me and said, I want to meet with you. And I'm actually, I was on my way to the gym at the time. I had my little iPod in at the time, my iPod Nano, and, and that's part of the story. And so she's like, I want to meet with you. I'm actually in your dorm. And I was like, oh, gosh. Okay. So I, did, I felt bad because she was like already in my dorm on the bottom. I lived on like the top floor. And so she was like in the bottom. So I was going to pass her on the way out. So I was like, okay, I'll meet with you. So we sit down and she basically, you know, she's so sweet and she's like, I, I know that you filled out a card. I just wanted to, I just wanted to tell, you know, talk to you about the Lord. And, and when she said that, when she started talking, I literally started bawling, bawling. Um, and she was like, you know, the Lord loves you and he has a better, you know, he has such a great plan for your life. And I was crying so hard and I was just telling her, I, I, he doesn't, I, I can't, I'm, I can feel it now. I just felt so far from God. And I, I felt like there was no way of um, redemption. And it, it was such a lie, obviously. But it's so crazy how people really feel that, how the enemy really will lie and make you feel like there's no hope. And I just felt, I just felt too wicked that God would ever want me back. And she, um, and I was expressing this to her and she, she just hugged me and said, God loves you. He's here. You know, like he has his arms wide open. He, he accepts you as you are. I'll never get tired of hearing my wife tell that story. And I think about Holly and where she was at at that season of her life there at her freshman year of college when, you know, her, her only focus um, had been and probably should have been uh, just, you know, where's the next party and where's going to be the next good time with no thought of anything eternal but God. And in the middle of that, even whenever she wasn't seeking Him, would chase her down and overcome her with His goodness and His mercy. And, you know, I think as as we reflect on that today, it's just a reminder of, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter how far somebody seems like they may be away from the Lord, and, you know, how could God reach this beautiful girl who's in the middle of, like, the, the pinnacle of, of her partying and 
just having the time of her life, and you would think, man, it's probably going to be years before the Lord could break through that. But right there in the middle of it, that God can still break in and reach somebody and and saved my wife out of so much potential um, heartache and darkness and and the consequences that that she could have that she could have suffered, but instead God reached her. It's just just amazing. And while I was there at the psychiatric unit, I had a life changing experience that just uh, gave me hope and purpose and helped me to believe that my life mattered and was worth living. And if you've never heard the story. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, I had went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds because I, w- I wasn't eating. My mother was the one that admitted me into the psychiatric unit. I had been crying for so long because uh, my girlfriend for four and a half years left me and got engaged to another man because I was no longer going to the NFL. And um, from crying over her and all these problems in my life, my eyes were swollen to the point where I couldn't even open them, but just a little slit. Uh, that's important because... Uh, the woman that shared Jesus with me walked into the room. I call her the woman with green pants <laughs> because all I could see is out of the slit out of the bottom of my eyes. And I could just see that she had on green like nursing pants. She walks into uh, my hospital room and she says, hey, I don't even have jurisdiction to be back here in this part of the hospital. But I feel like God sent me back here to tell you that you need to say yes to him. And I'm like, who is this lady? You know, I'm like, leave me alone. This lady wrapped me in her arms and prayed for me. For my mom said for like 15 minutes. For me, it felt like two seconds because all I remember in my head is saying, leave me alone. I just want to die. She left and she said she would come back uh, probably sometime later. I don't know how many minutes or whatever, but my grandmother, who was the one that drug me to church growing up, she comes in. Uh, she had driven from an hour away from Jackson. I was in Detroit, Michigan at the psychiatric unit, about an hour drive. She bust, burst through the door. She says, honey, I've been praying for you all the way here. You know exactly what to do. God told me that you need to say yes to him. Wow. Oh, man. It's the same command a second time. So powerful. And I couldn't deny that it was God speaking to me. Mm. But my heart was so hard. I had so much doubt. I read so much stupid stuff that I just couldn't believe a real encounter that I was having. And, and rather than surrender in that moment, um, I told my grandma, that's your God. That's not for me. And my grandma prayed for me for like five minutes. And she, she backed away. She stepped up. At this point, my grandma's in the room. My dad's in the room. I think uh, at least one of my sisters were there. I think my, my stepmom was there or my mother-in-law or whatever. Whatever my dad's wife is. I always get that mixed up. But they're there, and they're looking at me not like you can feel the hopelessness in the room. Like we have no clue how to help this guy. The best way I know how to describe it is this, is it just got real dark and real heavy. You could feel the depression in the room. You could feel the heaviness in the room. And I just heard the voice of God say, son, will you say yes to me? And it was something about hearing the father's voice that gave me the strength to mutter out a, yes, Lord. Mm. And the moment I said it, just like that, that depression I was facing for years broke. And it felt so good, Trey. I didn't know what else to do. I just kept screaming, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Wow. <laughs> the doctor runs in the room because he's like, what's going on? He can see tangibly. I mean, my eyes got healed. I could open them. I could see again. He, <laughs> he comes in and he's like, what's going on? And I promise you, this is exactly what I said. I said, I was running from God and I just surrendered to him. Mm. 
He said, send him upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and so he still had to admit me to the psychiatric unit. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, That's dude. Right. But I had changed, man. Wow. And uh, that really just began this this journey of, of faith and 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 taking that encounter and really figuring out what it means to be a Christian and a disciple of Jesus. Daryl Stinson. I love that guy. Just a walking ball of inspiration. And to know his story, to know where he's come from, and to see his ministry, that that conversion experience would lead to him impacting thousands, and I'm sure tens of thousands of lives with with his message and and, and his ministry. Um, a reminder, nobody too far gone, and God is still transforming lives. I love that story. And about six months in, he says, he calls me and says, hey, bro, I got this guy that needs a place to stay. I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, yeah, I'll probably stay there for a couple months. You know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, and I was thinking, and at that time, I was like, whoo, this is like prophetic singer guy is coming to stay with me. This ought to be interesting. So the first thing that happened, he he comes and he, you know, back then it was MapQuest and he left off, he left one page of MapQuest. And so he was at like three miles from my house at 1.30 in the morning looking for me. <laughs> it's like, hey man, yeah, yeah, we don't live by the Dairy Queen in Lawrenceville, bro, but I can tell you how to get here. <clears throat> and uh, his name was Caleb Andrews. He was full-time, he came on to be full-time staff uh, at the House of Prayer. He's getting ready to be a missionary to, to Africa, getting ready to leave. But he came to live with me, and... Uh, I just sat there and I, and I watched this guy because he was going to the house of prayer. His hours were 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I mean, he would go in there, he'd like read his Bible, do a worship set, run the sound, take out the trash. Yeah. And I was like, this cat is going to burn out in a heartbeat. I was like, there's no way he can keep this up. And I'd see him every now and then. He's like, what's up, brother? You know, he'd be coming in. Yeah, he wasn't getting paid to do this. He was like choosing to do this with his life. 20-year-old guy came with nothing to Atlanta. So I watched him and uh, just kept watching him and just, you know, was thinking he was just going to burn out. And then one morning, I'm laying in bed. It's like 7 o'clock. The house of prayer wasn't, was only going Monday through Friday at that time. And he's down there worshiping the Lord. I'm like, what is this guy doing? It's like, this is his day off. I'm thinking to myself, you don't have to do this today, man. You're not working. I mean, who goes and does their job for fun on Saturday? Nobody, you know? So I went down there and I just asked him, I said, I said, what is the deal, dude? I said, I do not understand this. And uh, he said, he said these words, man. It's so funny how the Lord works. He goes, I'm addicted to Jesus. And I was like, wow. And in that moment, I said, you know what? I think that's how it's supposed to be because we're going to be addicted to something, you know? Addicted to Jesus. That is so true. Uh, you just heard from Bobby Humphrey, the co-founder of Good Landing Recovery, and one of the most legit men of God that I personally know that puts his money where his mouth is and just backs up everything that he believes with with his life and just such a 
a joy to go back down memory lane and to, to, to reflect back on these stories and to hear these powerful testimonies of just, and just imagine what's going on in Bobby's mind at that time of, of watching somebody just pour out their life to Jesus. And, and while it doesn't make sense to the natural mind and you're just thinking there's just no way. And then to realize that it's all fueled by intimacy, that all purpose comes from that place. It's remarkable. You know, I'm working. I couldn't hardly find a job. Nobody wanted to hire me, right? You know, college educated, had jobs my whole life, and I couldn't. Nobody wanted to hire this old drug addict, right? So, I am. Uh, I go to work for uh, a guy in a garden center, and I was planting flowers in folks' yard, right? You know, and um, it was a real humbling experience for me, not because of the nature of the work. But, you know, like some of these houses, I sold those houses, you know, to people. And so I was a, a man of much pride, even when I shouldn't have had all that pride. And and uh, so here I am digging in the mud in people's front yards. And uh, I remember a person from Clarksdale Baptist Church came by, pulls up out front, um, guy named Johnny, and gets out his car. And I'm looking over at him, you know, I don't know what anybody's going, I didn't know why he was walking up there. And I remember Johnny came up and he shook my hand and uh, he had heard, of course, they ran it on the front page of the paper. So he heard about all the stuff. Mm. And, um, and I just told him, I said, man, it's hard, Johnny. And, and basically he communicated that, um, Sorry. <clears throat> I don't even know if he knows what he meant to be that day. Because, you know, it, he, he described his last name. He said, you know who I am? And, and what people believe and, uh, about me. And um, he said, Jesus loves you, Mark, regardless And it's a very powerful experience. Um, on the outside, you would never have known it moved me like that, right? But his act of kindness, um, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it. It was just an act of kindness. It was hard because I knew there was no benefit whatsoever in my mind for him to stop because he stopped specifically because he saw me and made an effort to communicate the love of Jesus in my life. Strong. Yeah. It's my dear friend, Mark Stovall. It's amazing what appeared to be the most simplest act of kindness could do in somebody's life, just to stop in the midst of somebody's shame and when it seems like their whole world is caving in and just the the power that's on the words Jesus loves you and the way that would impact this life and, and something that he would still focus on now out of all the accomplishments be being chief operating officer of one of the largest treatment centers probably in the world and in that defining moment, at one of his lowest points, and, and somebody that would just pull over and remind him, Jesus loves you. 
just so awesome, so grateful for, for this podcast and how it has given me a front row seat to some of the most amazing stories of people that I respect so much to see God show up and transform their lives and that this would serve as a reminder to anybody who would listen that there is nobody too far gone and that God has an outstretched arm that can reach and pull somebody out of the depths of addiction or any level of brokenness. Nobody outside of his reach. So grateful for this season. So grateful for this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.